welcome to Isla Earth. It's good to know that tomorrow's scientists are solving environmental problems today. Meet Daniel Bird from Waterloo, Canada. Daniel's interested in science and recycling. As a 16-year-old, he was annoyed by the avalanche of polyethylene plastic shopping bags that his mother hoarded in a closet. Every time he opened the closet, bags tumbled out. Daniel knew that to just throw the bags away would mean sending them to landfills, where they'd sit without decomposing for, oh, millennia? So, for his school's science fair, Daniel isolated the microbes that break down polyethylene. First, he ground plastic bags into powder, then mixed in tap water, yeast, and a dash of dirt. Six weeks later, his bag powder weighed 17% less. So he tried again, adding sodium acetate, which helps microbes grow. Another six weeks, and his bags decomposed 43%. His project earned him a $10,000 prize, $20,000 in scholarships, and interest from industry. The real winner could be Mother Earth, since we produce 500 billion of these bags annually. Bird's recipe could also save the lives of wildlife that die from eating bags and save space in landfills, not to mention Mrs. Bird's closet. Learn more at islaearth.org. Isla Earth is recorded on the campus of California State University, San Bernardino, and produced by the Catalina Island Conservancy, because Earth is an island. KCAA, where every day is a great day. KCAA, Loma Linda. KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. All right, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Oh, we're going to have fun today. Um, You need to take your ribbon, put put one ribbon in Matthew 26, and we're going to start out in Genesis, chapter 2, and then we're also going to go into the book of Revelation, Revelation, chapter 22. So if you want to, I'll try to give you time to get there when we get there, but... You know, uh, uh, some of us don't do too well on Bible drill. So go ahead and get ready, all right? The message that I want to preach to you today was inspired by a devotion that I read some years ago uh, in the Daily Guidepost. The writer of the devotion was John Henry Jowett. He noted that there are three gardens in the Bible which are of great significance to us. Literally, they're great significance to us. In the first part of the first book of the Bible, over in Genesis chapter 2, we find it talking about the Garden of Eden. Then in the last part of the book of Matthew, we find the Garden of Gethsemane. And finally, in the last part of the last book of the Bible, we find the Garden of God in His kingdom. And we're going to talk about all three of those uh, today. We're going to deal with those subjects and see what kind of effect that these things might have on us and what we need to do uh, in this situation. First of all, let's look at the Garden of Sin. Let's look at the Garden of Sin. The Garden of Eden is the one that I call the Garden of Sin. Now, Jowett, whenever he wrote his devotion, he called it Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost. That's that's a pretty good statement to be made about the Garden of Eden. But I want you to notice some things about it. In chapter 2, in verse 8, first of all, 
And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed out of the ground and made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then in verse 15, he says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then over in chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. They ate of the tree uh, that was in the midst of the garden, the one that God told them not to eat. Now, it never ceases, I think, to amaze me that when somebody tells us not to do one thing, one I mean, if you have one restriction, just like it was in the Garden of Eden, they had everything they wanted. And listen, tending to that garden was not hard work. It was not hard work. They could do that easily, just like just like Brother Bull does his garden. It's uh, it's it's not hard work because he enjoys it so much. He enjoys doing that. It wasn't hard work. And God said, "Look, you go and you live here. This place is perfect. You know they didn't. <clears throat> I think in those days they didn't have to worry about the sun being so hot. You know, I, I think that it, it, of course it didn't rain. You know that, right? Hadn't rained yet." Hadn't rained. They didn't know about rain, so they didn't have to worry about that. There was no hail, no thunderstorms, no lightning. There was nothing like that at this time. And so they didn't experience any of that. It didn't get too hot. It was a perfect, what degrees do you like? I'm kind of a 65 degrees kind of guy, but some of you like 70. That's what it is in here today, 70 degrees. 72 is supposed to be perfect, right? Okay. Well, let me tell you something. It's 70 degrees. Some of us fan. Right? Yes, we do. Okay. So some of y'all, some of y'all talk about it being too cold in here. Well, let me tell you something. If you're too cold when you come into church, just come up here and sit with me. <laughs> it's not too cold up here. These lights are nice and warm, among other things. But it was perfect for them. And God said, okay, look, I'm going to put you here. Here's all that you need to eat, whatever you need to drink. The water was perfectly pure and clear. I, th I don't think it even picked up the sand on the bottom when it was running through. Here's all you need to drink, all you need to eat. This place is perfect for you. You don't have to worry about storms, you know, and all of those kind of things. But one thing you cannot do, do not ever take of this fruit of the tree that is in the midst or the middle of the garden. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is the tree that is to be avoided in every case. Adam and Eve were made perfect. They were placed in a perfect garden with one restriction, and that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Now, I realize that there's a lot of guys out there that blame Eve. 
If you believe that, say amen. amen. <laughs> Except Charlie told Jim not to. <laughs> Don't you dare say amen, she said. Well, blame Eve. Well, listen, let me tell you something. God didn't tell Eve not to eat of the tree. He told Adam. Okay? Now, it was Adam's responsibility to tell Eve, and I'm sure... Uh, as soon as he met her, he told her, now look, one thing we can't do, and that's eat of that tree over there. Stay away from that tree over there. <clears throat> she was tempted, and then he was tempted. He didn't have to eat of the tree, folks. He chose it. Just like she did, he chose it. So nobody's more at fault than the other one, except we men are led so easily by women <laughs> so Romans 5 12 says by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men all the way over the book of Romans Paul is still talking about it and he said we are sinners because we are born in sin because and because of that sin death has passed upon all people upon all men all mankind the first garden, the Garden of Eden, is the Garden of Sin. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine what it was like, and some of us can probably, what it was like. You know, it's easy if you don't have anything or if you have it hard and you go to an easier way of life. But what if you have it perfect and you have it easy and you got to go the other way? I mean, Adam was enjoying his time there. He was taking care of that beautiful garden and God kicked him out after he sinned against God. God kicked him out and told him, okay, now then you're going to have to work and you're going to have to earn everything that you get. And Eve, it's not going to be so easy for you either. And God told them about their sin and about what they had done. Well, the second I want to talk to you about, the second garden, we're going to go on over to the end of the book, the book of Revelation, chapter 22. And we want to talk about the garden supernal and eternal. The garden supernal and eternal. Now, this is the heavenly garden. This is the garden of God. Jowett calls it paradise regained. Amen. Paradise regained. And how do you regain it? You regain it through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to the similarity of the words in <clears throat> Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1, and those that we've already read about that other garden. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. Amen. No more curse. That's what happened to them back in that other garden, you remember? But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Now, I want to tell you something about God. It's not possible for us as human beings to look on the face of God. Can't do it. Can't do it. There will come a day, if you are a believer in Christ, there will come a day, the Bible says, 
when you'll be privileged to look at the face, directly into the face of Almighty God. Wow. Folks, I want to tell you something. This is a special place. This is the place of final reward. The place of final reward. Let me tell you something else about it. It never ends. It never ends. You know, we put a lot of stock in a lot of the things that we do here on this earth as we live out our lives. We we do good. We think we're doing good. We're doing we're doing stuff uh, to help other people, and we're doing stuff to benefit the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you something. It's it's terminal. It's terminal. You know, I mean, I mean this 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 human body. Uh, as it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this human body is not made of the right stuff to go to heaven. So this life is terminal. That one is forever and ever and ever. Amen. <laughs> that life that we're privileged to be a part of this reward that he has given to us is eternal. Listen, it says the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. They which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation chapter 21 verse 24 and 27, the latter part. They which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You get your name written in the Lamb's book of life by believing in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. This garden is the place of promise for the child of God. And here's what it's like. You want to know what it's like? Just a little bit about what it's like? Listen to what he says. John says, And I saw a new heaven, chapter 21, and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, that's a good thing, folks. We don't, we don't like to think about the, the first heaven and the first earth passing away because it's all we know anything about. But it's going to pass away, and it, and it will not be here anymore because it is the place of sin. It is the place of the curse. And I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He said, it's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen in my life. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold the tabernacle, the, the, the house, the dwelling place of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. There should be no more, listen, there should be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, God said, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. Now, I realize we're talking about heaven here. We're talking about the dwelling place of the redeemed here. But we also understand, listen, he said, I make what? All things new. All things new. 
He made you new. He made you new. He made you new, Ralph. He, God did it. I make all, I make all things new. We're new because of what God has done in our hearts and in our lives. And that through faith in the name of Jesus. Well, we need to move on. We want to talk about the third garden. This garden is the one, and it's found in Matthew 26. This garden is the one that I call the garden of uh, sincerity. Uh, could be the garden of total surrender. The garden of total surrender. It's the garden of Gethsemane. And in Matthew 26, and in verse 30, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Now, uh, that's across the valley. They went out and across the valley, went into the Mount of Olives. And, and, and this is a place where something very spectacular and important and critical for me and for you, this is where that occurred. I want you to notice there's many things. This is, this is, this is an unbelievable story and an unbelievable amount of, uh, amount of information that went on in that Garden of Gethsemane. And I want us to learn uh, from each of these things. First of all, I want you to notice that it, even though it was the Garden of Sincerity, even though it was the Garden of Total Surrender, it was also a Garden of Shallow Commitment. A garden of shallow turned out to be a garden of shallow commitment. Verse 33. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. And Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall offend, be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me three times. Thou shalt deny me thrice. Now I want to tell you something. Whenever you make a commitment unto the Lord, you first need to count the cost, you see. He didn't do that. Peter didn't count the cost. He didn't even think about that. He was ready to take a stand, but we come to realize that whenever his life was threatened, and literally it was, when his life was threatened, he denied he ever knew Jesus. And not only that, but in one of the instances where it talks about it there, he even cursed a little bit. You know, let's make it realistic. You know what? That just made me think of something. You know, they make these movies today and they're so trashy you can't stand to listen to them, you know? I think I think that's the reason they put a mute button on your on your little uh, what do they call that name? Hickey Pudas. Remote, that's it. That's it. That's the reason they put that on there, because you can't stand you can't stand to listen to it. You ask them why? You know, I always ask the question, why do you do that? Oh, to make it realistic. Let me tell you something. It's not that way around my house. And my house is a real house. It's a real place. Okay? So why do we have to do that? Well, Peter said, you know, if I talk like this, then they'll believe, they'll surely believe that I'm not with him. And he wanted to deny. He didn't want anybody messing with him. Not only was it a garden of shallow commitment on that part, but it was also a garden of sleepy heads. Verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Could you not pray for one hour? 
Well, some of you know how difficult that is. Most of us don't ever spend an hour praying, but you know how difficult that is. But he was asking them, he was asking them to stand guard. That's what they were doing. They were standing guard. They were there in his behalf. They weren't praying for themselves. They were praying for him. Listen, he wanted somebody to pray for him that he'd make the right decision, and I'm glad he did, but it wasn't because they prayed for him. Over in verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. For their eyes were heavy. Folks, we need to be ready when we make a commitment to the Lord. We need to count the cost, and we need to uh, not speak without thinking. We need to spend some time in preparation, and then after we make the commitment, then we need to get on our knees and really pray. We need to really commit ourselves unto the Lord. Well, this was a garden of sincerity, and yet it turned out to be one of shallow commitment and sleepy-headedness. This is a garden of service, according to verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Verse 41. Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. It was a time of service. You can come with me, Jesus said, but you've come to serve me. You've come to be there for me. Now, he was always there for them, and he's always there for you. How often are you there for him? Just like in this situation. They just went on off to sleep and didn't even think about it. Not only that, but this garden was a garden of, of submission, verse 39. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He said it again in verse 42. Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. This was a time when Jesus was willing to submit himself under the will of God. To submit himself under the will of God. Now how often is it that we do that? How often is it that we do that? You know, when we pray, <clears throat> seeking God's blessing on our lives, we pray and say, Dear Lord, I'm going to do such and so. Would you please bless me? Father, I'm going to be driving down this highway at 85 miles an hour. Would you please keep me safe? He might look at you and say, now, wait a minute. You're going to break the law and expect me to take care of you while you do it. You know, you, you want to go out and sin? Lord, please don't let me get in trouble while I go out and, and sin. You see, what we want to do is we want to ask God to take care of us when we do what we want to do. That's not what Jesus did, and you and I are to be like him. What he did is he went to the Lord and he said, I don't want to do this, but if it's what you want, I'll do it without hesitating. It's submission, submission under the will of God. This also was a garden of sacrifice, according to verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock. 
shall be scattered abroad. He was willing to do whatever was necessary. He was willing to become the sacrifice, the only sacrifice which could provide forever forgiveness for our sins. And let me tell you something. After he had prayed, after he went the third time, he was satisfied. It was settled in his mind and it was going to be okay. He knew what was necessary. He knew what he had to do and he was willing to do just that. God, no matter what it takes, no matter what it takes, he said, I'm willing, I'm willing to do it. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. The only way that you can ever find satisfaction in the service of God is if you do exactly what God tells you to do. You see, that's when it's settled and that's when it's going to be okay. John Henry Jowett concluded his devotion by saying these words, and I quote, we are always in peril of regarding our redemption lightly. Now listen, the longer you're a Christian, the more you take it for granted. That's basically what he's saying. We're always in peril of regarding our redemption lightly. We hold it cheaply. Privileges, he says, easily come to be esteemed as rights. And even grace itself can lose the strength of heavenly favor and can be received and used as our due. In other words, it, 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 you get to where you think, well, God did this for me. He's gracious to me, so I expect it every time. You see, grace is a gift. Gethsemane, he says, can I forget? Gethsemane, can I forget? Yes, I can. And in the forgetfulness, I lose the sacred awe of my redemption and I miss the real glory of paradise regained. You know, when you forget about what it took to provide heaven for you, you lose the value of heaven. He says that's the remembrance that keeps the spirit lowly and that fills the heart with love of him whose I am and whom I ought to serve. Ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. <coughs> you're not yours. You're his. Bought and paid for with the blood of his only begotten son. Too often believers in Christ come to the garden of sincerity. We come to that place and we come with all sincerity. We come with great intentions, but our commitment has no depth. It's a shallow commitment. Our service is, is a service of convenience. Yes, Lord, I'll do that if it works out, if I have time. If they show up or if I can get there when I'm supposed to. Our submission is to our will rather than his will. We want him to join us where we are rather than joining him where he is. And our sacrifice isn't sacrifice at all. It's merely a matter 
of inconvenience. We talked about where Jesus told his disciples to take up their cross and follow him in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Most of the time, we don't know what it means to bear a cross, but let me tell you something about a cross. A cross means suffering, and a cross means sacrifice. A cross means suffering, and a cross means sacrifice. He was our sacrifice, and we somehow need to come to the place where we come to that garden of sincerity, and it needs to be a garden of total surrender to the perfect, perfect will of God. And when that's true in our lives, the matter will finally be settled and you'll find satisfaction. You'll find satisfaction. People today aren't satisfied with anything, you know? I mean, you get a new car and you like it for a little while and then somebody else gets a newer one, you know? What do you want to do? I think it's interesting to watch these guys buy these new, beautiful new trucks, you know, and they take them home and, and they spend another $5,000 on them, putting new tires and wheels and jacking them up and making them loud and all that sort of stuff. I'm now, don't get me wrong, I like loud pops. I think they ought to come out of the factory that way, but they don't, okay? And then two years later, you know, I've had my truck now. I've had my truck now uh, uh, almost five years. Well, yeah, it'll be five years this year. I've had it that long, and I'm thinking, wow, I need a new truck, but I like this one. I like it. I like it. It's just what I wanted, you know? But, you know, you really you know, start getting some miles on it. You start thinking, and then they advertise on TV, well, $12,000 off of this truck. Man, if they take $12,000 off, that thing must be expensive. Because <laughs> they're not taking a loss for sure. I don't know how we got off on all of this. What I'm saying to you is that somehow or another, we need to be able to find a place where we're satisfied, where we're settled, where, where it's okay. But you'll only find that in total surrender to the will of God. Father, thank you for this day. Father, thank you that in your word, you reveal to us three gardens. Father, we know all too well about the garden of sin. And Father, we talk often and regularly uh, about the garden that is eternal, the garden of God in heaven. But Father, we know little about the garden of Gethsemane. We like to do things our way and allow you to get in on it. But God, help us to realize that we need to be with Jesus on our face before Almighty God, praying, Thy will be done. God, I'm here. Take control of my life and do whatever it is you see fit so that you might be glorified and your will might be accomplished. Oh, God, today I pray that you will help us to surrender unto the mighty hand of our great creator, the one who loves us, who gave his son in our place as a sacrifice for our sins. Help us, Father, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come to a time of invitation.
my prayers that somehow or another God might have spoken to your heart. I don't know how he might have done that or what he might have said to you. But as God has spoken to your heart today, my prayer is that you've come to the place of total surrender. Give your heart to Jesus today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, then today is your day. This is God has given you this moment, this time to make that commitment unto Him. He's gracious. He loves you. He wants to forgive your sins. And He wants to save your soul. As God may be speaking to your heart today, I'm going to invite you to come. Come and call upon the name of the Lord and be born into his family today. Maybe there's others of you who realize that, yeah, you've been living your life. You've been a Christian for a long time. But it's not been a life of surrender or the will of the Lord. Listen, you'll not ever be satisfied. You'll not ever find that real peace that you need until you make that commitment unto the Lord and surrender unto his will. I don't know how God may have spoken to you, but my prayer today for you is that you might do exactly what God wants you to do. You are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. First of all, I want to introduce our passage with this little illustration uh, that I read some time ago. At the end of the war between France and England came the Battle of Waterloo. Now, there's probably not any of us that have been to school that have not heard about the Battle of Waterloo. Do we remember it? No, but we heard about it, and we remember that word Waterloo because it's different. Well, one of the reasons that I don't remember it is because I wasn't here yet. It was in 1815, and England was all waiting to hear the outcome of the battle between the Duke of Wellington and Napoleon. They were gripped in despair as the first words from the semaphore signals flashed from the ship off the coast. Two words were read. Just as the fog settled in, Wellington defeated. Wellington defeated. But as soon as the fog cleared, the message was sent again. This time, despair was changed to excitement and rejoicing. As the message was read, Wellington defeated the enemy. Amen. When Jesus died on the cross that fateful, that fateful Friday long ago, the news spread all over Jerusalem. Jesus defeated. That's all they heard. Jesus defeated. I believe the devil was even saying it to all of those little demons that he had gathered together. Jesus defeated but the full message was only shrouded in the fog of unbelief. On that glorious Sunday morning which followed came the message. Jesus defeated the enemy. Jesus defeated the enemy. Folks, we've been telling that story and sending that message ever since. Now I want you to notice some things today. I want to talk to you on the subject verification of his resurrection. Verification of his resurrection. Now one of the reasons I think this is a very important subject is because there's a lot of people that believe that Jesus was a real man. They believe that Jesus was a good man. They believe that Jesus died. They won't all try to say that he actually died on the cross of sacrificial death. 
in payment for our sins, but they will say that he died and that he was buried. But folks, I want to tell you something. Life for us is in the resurrection. The cross was his sacrificial death, but the resurrection means life for him and life for us forevermore. Now, the first uh, first thing I want to do is read this passage of Scripture. It's found in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Well, I'm going to begin in verse 12 so that you can get the context. And we'll go through uh, go through the end of the chapter. That very day, uh, wait a minute, verse 12. I said it, didn't I? I said I was going to read it. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling. And what had happened? That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all those things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. <laughs> They stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you are you the only one who hadn't heard the news? Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, uh, this, this just tickles me, folks, I'm sorry. In red letters in my Bible, and he said to them, What things? I mean, who knew better what had happened? What things? What are you talking about? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. He said, okay, you got these prophecies. Remember what they said. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, I love this. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed and broke the bread and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. 
verse 36 will be our final verse. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Now I realize it was a long passage. I felt like it was necessary because we need to see what was going on and what was happening and how Jesus was revealing himself to them. Now I want you to notice some things about the verification of his resurrection. First of all, whenever you take all of the facts together, if you'll do your research, if you'll do your study, and you take all of the facts together, you will come to discover that it really is true. He really did rise from the dead. First of all, you have a consistency of the prophecies. You have the consistency of the prophecies. And there are literally hundreds of prophecies in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, and in extra-biblical literature, if you read uh, extra-biblical literature, they all declare that Messiah would come and would die and would rise again from the dead. Not, not only is the Old Testament a treasure in those extra-biblical extra -biblical literature, but Jesus himself declared to his disciples that he would rise again. Over in Mark chapter 9 and verse 9, the scripture says, as they returned from the Mount of the Transfiguration, Jesus charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. He said, you don't have my permission to tell what happened on that mountain until after I rise from the dead. Wow. They were clueless, folks. It just went right over their head. You see, in order to rise from the dead, you first have to die, don't you? You first have to die. I think they missed it completely. Now, I understand that they were caught up in the emotion of what had just happened on the mountain. They were excited about all that. But still, they missed what he said. A second verification or evidence uh, of, his, of his resurrection is those convincing proofs. They define it. The words of Acts 1 and verse 3. He showed himself, listen, he showed himself alive after his passion. What's his passion? After his death. He showed himself alive after his passion and uh, by many infallible proofs by many infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So folks, for 40 days, Jesus made sure, he made sure that his followers had the necessary proof to believe, to believe in him and to believe that he was really alive. I think it's very important that the people of all of the ages believe the infallible proofs that Jesus is alive. For that fact makes Jesus different from all of the other religious leaders and all of the other religions other than Christianity. It makes us different from all of the others. What are the differences? Well, the other leaders just died. He died and was crucified a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He allowed it to happen. He said, you don't take my life, I lay down my life. He laid it down for us. He went to the cross for us. Those other leaders draw attention to themselves. Jesus always points us to the Father. 
He points us to the Father. He said, I can't make these decisions. That's not my job. I can't tell you when the time will come. That's up to the Father. That's up to God, my Father. They had a following. Amen. I like this one. They had a following. Jesus has a kingdom. <laughs> Jesus has a kingdom. They were buried. And are still buried. Jesus was buried. And he rose out of the grave. He, he came forth from that grave to live forevermore. Over in John chapter 20, it records the story of Thomas's unbelief. You remember, remember old Thomas? He said, I'm not going to believe. I, no, you can't. I'm sorry. I will not believe. Not unless I can see him and take my finger and poke it in the holes in his hands where the nails were put. And not unless I can take my hand and poke it in his side where the spear went. I'm not going to believe. I, I just have to see him. Well, he turned around about twice and there stood Jesus. Jesus said, Thomas, here you go. Have at it. Thomas, here you go. Have at it. Put your finger in my hands, the holes in my hands. He said, put your hand in my side. Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing what Jesus said to Thomas is, you want proof? Here, proof. Now, folks, hundreds, literally hundreds of people saw Jesus. If you went through it and counted them all up, you would discover that literally hundreds of people saw Jesus on the earth after his resurrection. He made sure that they knew that he was still alive. He presented them with the proof that they were requiring. Now, he wants us to understand this truth and this reality, but still we have to take this matter by faith. It has to be a result of our faith because we don't get to go to the place and shake his hand and touch him and listen to his voice except through the scripture, except by the word of God. Well, I think maybe one of the most convincing Factors to verify his resurrection are the plots of those who are conspiring to deny it. <laughs> Let me pose an interesting question. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ has no merit, then why have so many for so many centuries con conspired to disprove it? <laughs> you, you think about it, okay? Just, just think about it for a minute. I've always heard that when something's not true, if you'll just leave it alone, it'll go away. Isn't that true? I mean, there have been those who have come and stood and proclaimed and pronounced, and they're gone. They just disappear. They just go away. Yet from the time of his death, for two millennia, Conspirators have plotted to deny the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pray tell me why. <laughs> because it's true. You say, well, preacher, uh, how do you know these things? Well, listen to what the scripture says. The Pharisees came to Pilate as it was recorded in Matthew 27. Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive after three days, I will rise again. 
Command therefore that the sepulchre be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead. So Pilate allowed them to seal the tomb and to set a watch. Now that's that's an important phrase right there, to set to set a, a watch. One has said that the watch, that is traditionally speaking, consisted of from 12 to 16 Roman soldiers guarding the tomb around the clock. 12 to 16 of the elite guard, Navy SEALs, okay? They were, they were guarding the tomb around the clock. But if you read this story, if you go back and listen to what it says, it says that whenever the guards came to town, they told the chief priest what had happened. They were there. They saw it. They, under, they didn't understand. They couldn't comprehend it all, but they saw it. And they came and told the chief priest what had happened. It says the chief priest convened the elders and determined to bribe the soldiers with these instructions. And I quote, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Yeah, right. Listen, if you're on guard duty, you better not be sleeping. Amen? If you're on guard duty, you have a job to do, and that's what they were doing. So they convened the other. They said, tell them that you went to sleep. And then he said, he goes on to say, because they knew what the result of going to sleep on guard duty was, they'd be executed. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you so that, so they took the money and did as they were told. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Surely you don't have a problem believing that 12 or 16, or if it's only two, guards went to sleep on duty while the disciples came and moved a stone that was impossible to move away and stole his body. Or, or how about Renan Strax? He came up with a swoon theory. Here's what it said. It said that Jesus fainted on the cross and later got up and walked away out of a sealed grave and right by the armed guards. Folks, let me tell you something. It's just easier to believe that he rose from the dead. I'm telling you, some of the things that people come up with are just more unbelievable than the truth and reality. The fourth thing that I want you to notice as a verification of his resurrection are the constraining purposes which demanded. Folks, without the resurrection, the value of his crucifixion would be erased. The value of his crucifixion would be erased. One reason is because he said he would rise. And if he didn't rise after saying he would rise, then he would be a liar. There are people call him a good man. Listen, I want to tell you something. If he wasn't who he said he was, he wasn't a good man because he would have been a deceiver. He would have been a liar. He would have been one who, who, who 
took people aside and out of where they were supposed to be. Folks, the purposes of his crucifixion was the final sacrifice for sin, and the purpose for his resurrection was the defeat of sin's wages, for the wages of sin is death. That's what Paul tells us. He reminds us the wages of sin is death. I want to read for you a passage here to count over the book of Acts chapter 4. And beginning in, the, I can find it, beginning in verse 10. Peter says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation, now listen, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's the only one, folks. He's the only one. He's the only one who lived the life so that he might become that sacrifice. He is the only one who was willing to do that for you, and he did it. The purpose of his resurrection, the purposes of his resurrection are, are eternal in scope. Because he is alive, we who believe shall live with him forevermore. The Apostle Paul wrote, and you, we, we read this scripture a lot, but sometimes we miss this little part of it right here. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that what? God hath raised him from the dead. There's the resurrection. You see, you have to believe. You have to believe that he died and he rose again from the dead. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he said, thou shalt be saved. And Jesus said, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Folks, the reality of his resurrection constrains us to believe. The reality of it constrains us to believe. For without a faith in Jesus Christ, you have no chance. Many years ago, there was an Arab slave master who owned two young African boys. He taught them to believe in Muhammad whose body, they were informed, was preserved in a coffin in the city of Medina in Arabia. But one day, the boys had opportunity back to hear a missionary tell about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That night, they got together in their room and began to talk about uh, what they heard. And one of them said, what do you think? The other one said, well, our master tells us that Muhammad is dead and that his body is kept in a coffin. But the missionary tells us that Jesus is the Son of God who came to die for us and rose again and is, is alive. I think they both said together that I would rather believe in the living one. And so they did. And so they did. Folks, you would be wise today to take the advice of those two little African slave boys and believe in the living one 
and his name is Jesus. He went to the cross with you on his mind. He took your sins upon his body that day and he died a sacrificial death so that you through faith in his name might be privileged to have eternal life. He rose from the grave so that you might see and know and understand that one day you can go and be with him. You'll be resurrected likewise to live with him forevermore in his kingdom in heaven. Believe in him. Believe in the living one. He's the one who has shown you through many infallible proofs that he is the son of God. Our Father, we come today to thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you were willing to offer your son a sacrifice for our sins. And we're grateful today that you raised him from the dead so that he lives forevermore. Now help us, Father, to believe. Help us, Father, to follow. Help us, Father, to understand that one day we'll be with you forever and ever and ever. Now, Father, I pray you speak to our hearts. Father, bring us to the place to realize how much you love us. And help us, Father, to realize that our commitment to you would cause us to walk daily in obedience to you. And, Father, I pray for those who are here today who may not have yet come to know Christ and the forgiveness of sin. Father, we realize it's by your grace and by your mercy, not by any good deeds that we've done on our own, but just through faith in the name of Jesus that we're saved. Help us, Father, to believe that he died for us. Help us, Father, to believe today that he arose uh, as the first fruits, to be the first one, and we are to follow. Father, speak to our hearts today. Call us to yourself, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to begin to sing a song. And when we begin to sing this song, I pray that God, that you would listen to God as he might speak to your heart. You see, there may be someone here today who has never taken that opportunity. Maybe you felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I remember as a teenager holding on to the back of the pew. I was afraid if I turned it loose that he would drag me down the aisle. I knew what he wanted me to do, but I wasn't willing. I just held on and held on. Listen, I want to tell you something, folks. It's much more comfortable to be in the hands of Almighty God than to hang on to the back of that pew. To feel that guilt day after day, week after week. Folks, I want to tell you something. God will lift the guilt if you'll confess your sin. If you'll come today and repent of your sin, he'll lift the guilt. And he'll put on your face a smile that the devil can't wipe off. I'm telling you, that's what he does for those who believe in him. So if you've not yet accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, in just a moment we're going to sing, I'll be standing down here. If you'd like to know how to believe in Christ, how to trust Christ, what you need to do, then we're going to invite you to come today and trust in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of the service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to the service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 945 a.m., 
morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. The station that leaves no listener behind. This is 1050 AM, serving Riverside, San Bernardino, KCAA, Loma Linda. Experience tea times. From the KCAA Weather Center, I'm Staphylogist Jim Rinaldi. For this morning, a mainly clear sky, sunny through the day, or high 80. Mainly clear tonight, low 52. Monday, sunny, high 82. Becomes cloudy Monday night with areas of fog forming, low 52. Patchy morning clouds and fog Tuesday, otherwise sunny, high 82. Sunny skies Wednesday, high 84. Thursday, sunny, high 86. Friday, a sunny day, high 88 degrees. That's your weather forecast for this hour from the station that leaves no listener behind. NBC News Radio, AM 1050 KCAA. Here's a look at the community calendar. I'm Di Rice. Inland Pacific Ballet will be performing at four different theaters across the Southland. There will be ten opportunities to see Beauty and the Beast, so make sure you catch one of these breathtaking performances. Shows will begin April 25th and run through May 16th. Performances will be held in Claremont, Rancho Cucamonga, and Riverside. Find your show and pick your seats for Beauty and the Beast at ipballet.org. Group discounts are available, and that is a look at the KCAA community calendar. I'm Di Rice. Shaquille O'Neal for Icy Hot. If you've got pain, you need the patch. The Icy Hot patch. Powerful, targeted, fast-acting pain relief that stays put without the mess. Icy to dull the pain, hot to relax it away in a variety of sizes. From back, shoulders, knees, even arthritis. So you're covered whenever and wherever you hurt. Stop pain right at the source with Icy Hot Patches. Pain's no match for the Icy Hot Patch. For temporary topical pain relief, use only as directed. We are producers. We are crafters of quality hay and forage. There's an art to harvesting the best hay and forage, and it starts with the right equipment. From dependable disc mowers and mower conditioners to efficient rakes and tedders, round balers and bale wrappers, Kubota has engineered a full line of field-proven hay tools you can trust to perform season after season. Visit your local Kubota dealer today during the More Power to You sales event for low-rate, long-term financing. For all your hay tool needs, we are Kubota. Do you freak out every time you break out? Well, I've got one word for you. Proactive. There's a huge reason Proactive is the number one acne treatment in the country. It totally works. Prescription-grade Proactive heals your acne and even prevents future breakouts. How great is that? There's a reason why so many celebrities use Proactive. Their faces are their money. And I'm telling you, it's time to get it because Proactive has set up a special dedicated 800 number. So get ready to punch that number into your phone. Pull over if you have to. Here's the deal. 1995 gets you Proactive plus a rotating deep cleansing brush. It's valued at $45 and it's yours free. So is the shipping. For only 1995, you, my friends, are guaranteed to get clear and stay clear or you'll get your money back. Here's the number, 1-800-543-3313. Got it? Good. Call for a lifetime of beautiful skin, 1-800-543-3313, 1-800-543-3313. Do you have a broken window or rock chip on your vehicle that needs repair? Give us a call at HM Autoglass, 951-858-5190. HM Autoglass is your locally owned and operated autoglass specialist, offering low-cost and high-quality autoglass repair and replacement. 
We also work with all major insurance companies and offer free mobile service. So call us, 951-858-5190. That number again is 951-858-5190. There's a man named Dr. Wallach who is anything but your typical doctor. Both a veterinarian and naturopathic physician, Doc asks, Why does the United States spend more money on health care by far and still rank 50th in health and longevity worldwide? He believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, taking charge of their life, and attain optimal health and longevity through nutrition, not by toxic prescription drugs leading to side effects. This is clearly a deadly recipe. The good news is Doc Wallach's message is resonating with an increasing number of Americans who are waking up to all the big government and big pharma manipulation of our health care system. I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about health care. Well said, Alex. Join the movement today. To purchase Longevity products, go to www.kcaaradio.com. Click on the Buy Longevity image or call toll-free 855-909-3047. That's 855-909-3047. Are you in charge of keeping people safe from lightning and severe weather? Visit weatherbugsafety.com today. Safety professionals everywhere are turning to Weatherbug for the most advanced monitoring and alerting. Why? Only Weatherbug offers real-time lightning and severe weather alerts. Minutes matter when 